I get the sense we're going to probably talk about yoga tonight. Um, well, first of all, <laughs> thanks. Um, t- Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral. Uh, I believe it's episode 20, 23, 22 or 23. It's, I took last week off. I've had a very um, taxing last few days. Um, just my, my dad um, was woke up at 1.30 in the morning and was urinating blood. Not to get really disgusting here, but um, fortunately, no cancer, but a very um, pretty intense procedure, which I've come to find out that a lot of men over the age of 70 actually kind of end up getting, but he's very, um, you know, he's had a lot of medical stuff. He had a brain tumor uh, when he was in his early 60s and he had 10 hour surgery and miraculously he survived and, you know, he's had a lot of medical stuff. So I wasn't sure if I would um, be doing the podcast this week, but um, everything went well, knock on wood. And here I am and I'm really happy to welcome Zoe Worth to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Hello. That's your cue to say hello. <laughs> um, you've actually been really, uh, first of all, you're a yoga teacher. We teach at the same studio, so I should probably say that. That's how I met you. Hyper slow. Hyper slow, Fifth and Fairfax. You're kind of, I feel like, the senior teacher there. I mean, obviously, Emily owns the, the studio, but you're, I think you're, I think you teach there the most. I mean, I, I think you're sort of, um, like the senior teacher at Hyperslow, I feel like. Do you know what I'm saying? I guess so. I don't know. It's not it's an like, official or it's title like your or home anything. Studio but or it's something. my home. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And I've been there for a really long time. And Emily and Asher are like family to me at this point. Yeah. And they're just such wonderful people. Um, I can't even fully like comprehend the amount of gratitude I have for the, yeah. them and for that space. Yeah. So, Likewise. Yeah. Um, you've been really. And I don't want this this podcast to be about your feelings about the podcast, but (laughs) you have been pretty, um, you've been a pretty strong supporter of of what I'm doing. And I don't, what is it about the podcast or the subject matter that you have resonated with or that, that you've connected towards or with? Well, I also just really like the form of podcasting. And I think it's really cool and kind of punk rock when people who don't necessarily already have a following or whatever kind of choose to do something anyway and like not be afraid or right um say when i have this i'll do that like you're just actually doing it and i think yeah. that's really cool and um i feel like the kind of people that you've had on have been really interesting and kind right. of eclectic and it just seems like people you're genuinely interested in talking to and it's not too like it's still so pure cuz you don't have sponsors probably too so no. it's just like really yeah it's a pure piece of your heart yeah. and Um, I also like that you have a lot of women on your show. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts and it's still a really male dominated field, like everything. And it's so cool to, I mean, obviously I love the male guests you have. I love men. I don't want to sound like that, but but I'm just so sick of hearing like men talk to me all the time. I guess it's kind of interesting to have a conversation. Well, it's funny because I had four guys in a row just for a variety of reasons. And I wanted it to, I, I, wanted women back on the show because I, there's just a different energy. But what's interesting though, I've actually, you know, you've come over to my house and, and it is, it's, and I listened to Mark uh, Marin, who is a, he's an actor. I love WTF. Yeah. That's, that's sort of, it's funny. I've never listened to podcasts until the last four or five months when I started this one, I thought I should, you know, listen to some to sort of get 
um, some opinions or, you know, to get to, to hear what other people are doing. And he's had some women on and they're all, a few of them are kind of freaked out, a little apprehensive to coming on the show because they have to go to his house. And I've actually reached out to some other yoga teachers, some women, and I've gotten the sense they've sort of brushed me aside or been politely not said yes or no. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if it's because my sort of stance on Instagram um, or if because just the idea of a woman coming over to a guy's house to have an interview on a podcast. My point is that I'm really thankful for you to come on the show. And then you have nothing to worry about. We're Thanks just, for having me. Yeah, we're not going to, we're just going to talk about social media, Instagram, and, and, uh, and yoga, of course. Yeah. And I mean, I'm genuinely also a fan of yours. And I like to be like kind of a cheerleader for people in my community in general. Yeah. That's kind of my MO. That's so cool. It's from a genuine place, though, obviously. But, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I vibe with that a lot. Yeah. Um, I guess let's just start off by talking about social media and Instagram, and then we'll, I want to backtrack to sort of how you came out to L.A. And, and how you found out about Emily and Hyper Slow and how you got into yoga. I mean, I did some reading about you, but uh, it, would be, <laughs> it would be great to hear it from you. Cool. Um, I think... One thing that I actually like about you and Instagram, you posted this video the other day where you're just like swinging golf club and you look silly and cute and funny and you're just having a good time. And it's not like slick or cool or you're not like posing, you know, with a waterfall backdrop. And I do get the sense that there is this sort of pressure, especially for yoga teachers to sort of always look like perfect or have this amazing over-the-top photo and it's refreshing you're not doing that you're just sort of like a, a human being and maybe it would change if you were like repped by some big clothing company or you know i'm not sure it probably wouldn't yeah which is cool <laughs> but I, I do feel like there's this pressure to sort of match up with what everybody else is doing and i feel like that's sort of inherently what's going on with instagram is that there's sort of this tendency where you know, you're thinking about your brand and, and you're trying to look good all the time. Do you, you know, what do you feel about Instagram? And do you feel a pressure to always sort of pose or pose? You didn't, you know, that's the other thing that in this question, a lot of yoga teachers, I feel have to sort of include a, a saying from maybe Rumi or just like <laughs> be an inspiring post of some sort. And it's like, do you feel like you have to do that all the time? Is there? Or? I don't feel like that, but I do feel as a responsibility as a yoga teacher, it's really cool to explore the texts of Rumi or any sort of other Islamic mystics. Um, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in a lot of that stuff, but yeah, I think it can seem quite trite and it shows through too when they've just seen the quote. Uh, somewhere and they want to post it but I don't want to really like dig on other people because everyone has their own reasons for doing it and the very root of it it is just for love so I have such overwhelming compassion for people I know that sounds really cheesy but um, that's kind of usually where my headspace goes to Um, maybe I get triggered or feel pressure but ultimately the compassion and the knowing that it's really just for love kind of I, I can see the beauty in it if that sounds right yeah, but so you don't feel like a pressure to to. I mean, you do, sometimes you do sometimes. And yeah. does that? I mean, but I feel like I get enough attention though too. So right, I don't really feel like I need that 
validation online, but I definitely find myself addicted to it in many other ways. How so? Um, If I'm just not sure of what to do and I'm feeling kind of restless or bored, I'll just start scrolling. Yeah. And I don't even realize why. And sometimes I'll end up on there for so much longer than I thought. And I'm like, why am I still here? And it almost feels like, like a level of hypnotism but it's not just with instagram i feel like that with my iphone in general it's kind of like having this amazing like library of alexandria and your palms of your hands and you have like access to so much incredible information and yeah it's almost like part of my brain like i can't hold as much information but i learn so much more and sometimes i can like save certain things to my notes or but I write a lot of things down too. But I feel like my iPhone's become part of my brain. Like, remember when we used to have to memorize phone numbers? Yeah. And like, I only know a couple of phone numbers still by heart. And those are ones from like my childhood. I've had some of the same friends since I was a kid. So I do have some like very close friends. I remember their phone numbers. Right. And they haven't changed their numbers. But for the most part, like, you don't memorize people's numbers anymore. You don't need to. So your brain's kind of, like, morphing into different things. And the iPhone is an extension of your brain. It's so creepy. But, like, already we are AI. Yeah. Like, we are. It's it's just, it's happening. Like, and I'm kind of one of the more resistant people to it, I guess, just by nature. Because I like being outside a lot. And I've always been kind of, like, an organic hippie person not even by choice like my parents are like that like i was born at home um you know they're hippies they met in a hedonist colony in negril jamaica you know they well they met at hedonism which is a spot in negril my dad's jamaican so it's just like all very um unconventional yeah so you were um i mean we'll go there right now and you were born in florida yes and you grew up in my parents house that they still live in so how was like what was it like in florida I mean, was it generally, um, I mean, were, you weren't into yoga at the time. Um, kind of. I I thought yoga was kind of stupid when I was younger. My parents are into it. Mostly my mom was into it. My dad practices every day now, but okay. uh, it was definitely more my mom's thing. She grew up doing Shivananda yoga, and I kind of grew up in the Shivananda sort of background too because my mom would take me to classes sometimes, and I kind of thought it was like a bunch of weird, like smelly dudes trying to massage my mom and I, I just felt really turned off by it. Right. Um, but I think it was also a maturity and it's hard for kids to sit still. Like most children don't want to do yoga, even kids yoga programs. I've taught it before. Like I make up games and right. stuff like that. Cause it's just not, I mean, they're starting to bring mindfulness into schools. Like I'm curious about how that's really going, but I do see like video footage of kids meditating and right. that's really cool. But I definitely wasn't like that as a kid. Like I wanted to climb a tree and like run around. Yeah. So, um, it, but it was, but your mom was practicing it. My regularly. mom was practicing at the Shivananda Center. It still exists. I go there and I practice with her now and I love it, but I did not get it when I was a kid. How, um, what is Shivananda type of yoga? It's a bhakti tradition yoga. It's more devotional. Um, the first 20 to 30 minutes is typically all breath work. And then you hold um, your poses for like, a long time like standing poses Stand, yeah there's standing series there's a lot of different postures in the shivananda it's like about a 90 minute practice okay but you rest in shavasana between each standing pose oh interesting mm-hmm. so i mean i've definitely kind of brought some of that over even in my vinyasa practice like you've seen me i've taken your class before i, yeah. I kind of take child's pose a lot yeah but um 
I still really like a vigorous practice too, but sometimes I need to be a little bit more gentle. That's something that calls more to me. Okay. And so like come 17, 18, uh, did you, how did you get out to LA or what did you go to college in Florida or? No, I went to school in Boston. So when That's I was, right. I feel like your phone number is a Boston phone number. No, my phone number is Fort Lauderdale. I grew up, okay. I grew up in South Florida. It's swampy, but, um, I grew up kind of over by the ocean okay. I lived on the, um, kind of like the intercoastal, um, area close. Yeah. Really close to the beach. So I was kind of like more of like a beachy girl. Okay. Everyone had a boat. You'd, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it was very like, it never stopped being the eighties really. Like, I feel like that's kind of a huge experience like growing up in South Did Florida. you see the movie, the Florida project? No. With William Defoe? No. Have you heard of it? No. You should see it. But it's, I mean, it's like, yeah, I'd be curious Florida. to hear, I, well, I would just be curious to hear your, if it, if it represented Florida well. It's like, have you read the Twitter page, Florida Man? Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's so much crazy stuff that happens there. Like, even my mom's friend, like, this is going to take a really weird, sharp turn, but my mom's friend was, like, walking her dogs in the park, and she was eaten by a gator. So oh it was the God. dogs. She died. Oh, jeez. So it's like, yeah, that's some Florida swamp shit right there. Yeah. I hope it's okay. I curse a little bit. Um, I'm not like a big cursor, but it'll yeah. come out. No, it's okay. Cool. So how'd you end up, you know, how'd you come out to LA? You go to, well, you oh, went to Boston yeah, for college. Yeah, that's a long story. I went to Boston for college. Okay. Um, yeah, I studied there and I stayed in Boston for a couple of years after, but I did spend and, a lot of time in New York too. I used to take the Fenghua bus from Boston's Chinatown to New York Chinatown. Well, and you were really into fashion apparently and, and, and like clothing retail was this something that you were doing in new york while i was in college okay i worked retail to make extra money right um but you mentioned that you'd like worked on music videos or you're working with a band that's more recent okay but so this didn't start in in boston it kind of like i mean my retail career started there for sure i started working high-end retail like first i started out like working at my friend's skateboard shop orchard it still exists but I was at the original location in Mission Hill because my boyfriend at the time was a skateboarder and that was like his home shop and whatever. So um, that was like where I first started working retail. And then I realized like, you know, it was during that sort of beginning stages of what they call it. It was some sort of like recession. Right. It was really hard to get jobs. Okay. And so I feel like that's a huge reason why, too, I ended up working retail for so long. But, I mean, I'm a relatively, like, attractive girl, so I could get, like, a good job working at a nice shop. Right. But I think also, you know, I went to college, and I had a couple other friends that had um, worked, namely at this first, the first store I worked at was, like, a high-end children's store. Like, it was ridiculous. I had $400 sweaters for toddlers. And it right. was called Oi Lily. I think it's out of business now, but it's a company from Holland. Um, and it was really, really fancy. Um, but yeah. Okay. So, um, and then I ended up working at Barney's when I moved back to Miami, I had been interviewing at the Barney's in Boston. So you came back to Florida and I came back to Florida because something really horrible happened like personally with my family. So I like felt like I had to kind of press pause on a lot of my life. Right. Do you feel comfortable talking about what happened or like something? Yeah, I can talk about it. I used to not really talk about it a lot because it's really a crazy story. Right. Um, and uh, basically around right when after I graduated college, my dad was um, doing something for work. I, he's a pilot. 
And he, okay. was, he ended up landing in Venezuela for a fuel stop. Um, and Venezuela is a really messed up country, obviously, if you've seen the news. But this was like 10, 11 years yeah, ago. Yeah, this was a while ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was a prisoner in Venezuela for like almost a decade. Completely innocent, by the way. But they did say that he was trafficking drugs. I mean, this is his story, so I don't really want to dive too much into that. Yeah. But it was really, really hard on us. And so he was, how long was he in Venezuela for? He was in Venezuela for almost nine years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was really crazy. I actually didn't think we'd get him back, but we did. How and recently? very recently. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. cause I met him you actually met him, at the yeah. studio. Yeah. Um, like how recently? Uh, it must have been something in the last couple of years. Two years ago. Wow. And I moved here three years ago. I moved back to Florida instead of moving to New York because, and I mean, part of this was an excuse, I'm sure, for not really wanting to grow up. But right. um, I moved back home because I was like, I have to take care of my mom, but I could barely take care of myself. Yeah, but still, I mean. But I did want to be closer to her. Completely. And my brother lives in Canada. Like, I felt like I needed to be there. Sure. And yeah, I mean. And that was when I started working retail. And then when I was at Barney's, I met um, a fashion stylist and he started asking me to assist him on shoots. Yeah. Because I was And this one was of still the, in Florida. This was still in Florida. <clears throat> it, this was in Miami because I started working at Barney's there in the mall. And I was one of the few people that actually because a lot of the times when you work in these high-end retail environments they're commission-based mm-hmm. and so when you see a stylist coming a lot of the salespeople run away but I, I I've always been like able to kind of see the humanity in other people pretty quickly and I was just like you know my job is here to serve like I think if I take good care of this person like I'll have better and it was funny too like it was just naturally me it wasn't really calculated but I did have some of the best sales at the store I just didn't care if it took a hit from my I I just didn't care I thought it was really interesting and I wanted to help him out and he was a really nice guy Don West what's up (laughs) um but yeah and we're still friends he's amazing and I was his assistant I became his assistant on shoots and that was kind of like my beginning into styling I was just always really nice to him, and he asked me one day if I would be his assistant. So how, and how long did you work with him? Um, a couple years. Okay. I was still working at um, Barney's, and I would just assist him on shoots, mainly for like catalogs. Well, that's really cool, though, that you, <laughs> that you went home and, and were just to pick up your life in Boston and go home to be with your mom. I think it's it's... I don't know. We get so caught up in our lives and the things we're doing. Maybe it's a little easier when you're in your 20s, but I just feel like as we're getting older, it, it's so hard to pick up from what we're doing to, you know, be around our family. It was hard for me just to go home just for a, a, like a day to be with my mom and dad because oh I have so gosh. many things to freaking... And I'm probably going to go back this weekend or next weekend also, but... Um, yeah, there's that old Ram Dass quote, you think you're enlightened, go, play, go spend seven days with your family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so true, though. Yeah. Because they're the people that know all the right buttons to push. Um, I mean, I wish I could sound like I'm such a great you know, person and that I went there, whatever. But when I did move to Miami, I did um, party a lot. Yeah. I, I did a lot of things to numb the pain. Sure. I'm not an addict. I don't have an addictive personality. But I definitely danced on a very, very fine line. Yeah. And um, I mean, I don't really have that many regrets. I had a lot of fun. Sure. 
Um, but I know it was reckless and, and very irresponsible. And part of me did it because I felt like everything was kind of like already in the shitter. I might as well just like, you know, go out on my sword, so yeah. to speak. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. How long are you in Florida before then you decide to come out to Los Angeles? Oh, I was there for a while. Um, but once it started reaching like an eight year point okay. of my dad being locked up, I was like, I need to live my life. Wow. Of course. And yeah, I had been living in Miami beach for almost eight years. At so it was that just time. you and your mom. And I felt like I was plateauing. Yeah. I didn't live with my mother. She lived in her own house. And yeah, I, but you were close, I, but I was close and I would spend like every Sunday with her pretty much without fail. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just try to be there for her emotionally and also just knowing that I was there closer geographically, I think, helped a lot. Yeah, of course. But um, So what was like the breaking point? Or I don't even know if that's the right word or two words, but... I felt what? like I was plateauing. Yeah. And I was partying way too much and I was just kind of getting away with it, I think, a little too much too. And there were a couple of times where I was coming home when the sun was rising and I was like, this just does not feel good. Yeah. This isn't partying anymore. Like it stopped being fun. Yeah, like it's not you anymore. And I started doing yoga. I lived with a yoga teacher who also worked in the fashion industry. When we initially started living together, she was not teaching yoga. She was dating my friend Casey and we all lived together in this old, um, this really old Spanish style house. It actually used to be uh, for diplomats. It was like this gigantic mansion in little Haiti. Right. And uh, we had gotten robbed. We were actually home when it happened. It was really freaky. Um, and after that, Ava, who is my friend Casey's girlfriend, asked me if I wanted to live with her. And uh, we got this really, really sweet spot, actually, um, on Belle Isle. It's like a private island on the Venetian Causeway. It was really, you know, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> and she's and she was a yoga teacher? Yeah, she, she became a yoga teacher. Uh, she was in training when I had met her initially. And actually she's the reason why I teach yoga. Um, I was taking her classes and I like, she was just, she wasn't forcefully ever trying to make me do yoga, but I would see her getting up to go teach, uh, her sunrise classes on the beach when she was first getting started. And I'd be coming home sometimes around that time. And I don't know. I just saw the the positive ripple effects, so to speak, of her practice. And then she would always invite me to come to her classes, but it never felt like, oh, you should come or whatever. It was it was very like I wanted to go. I felt like hypnotized, almost like a snake charmer situation. Hmm. Um, and so I started taking her classes. And, yeah, I feel like I didn't really feel connected to yoga or feel like it really calmed my, mon- my monkey mind until I started doing vinyasa yoga specifically. Because it's a little bit quicker moving. I like a slower style of vinyasa, obviously. But like, cause you've taken my class, you know, I don't really move too, too quickly. But we do do a lot of poses. Right. But um, I felt like it was just enough to keep me um, engaged. I felt really bored in Shivananda as a kid, obviously, because I was a kid, too, I yeah. think. And it was very resting in Shavasana between every standing pose is a lot. Yes, it is. So what you're obviously digging her class. Um, you're, and she told me to teach yoga. 
And she told you to teach yoga. Yeah. Did you take a teacher training down there in Florida? No, which is, this is why I ended up moving to Los Angeles. I found uh, this book by Ganga White called Yoga Beyond Belief. And I had been doing like a lot of research on finding the right training for me. And I'd been reading actually a lot about Ayurveda too. So I was getting into the other limbs of yoga mm-hmm. and just really educating myself. And I just found White Lotus Foundation in Santa Barbara and felt like it called to me. I, so I resonated you, with his book. How did you find White Lotus Yoga in Santa Barbara? Google. But I mean, what did, do you remember sort of what you typed in yoga it, or in Google where you responded to I that? I typed in the teacher's name, the guy who does it, Ganga White, who wrote okay. that book I read, Yoga Beyond Belief. Wow. And um, it's the oldest teacher training in North America. He studied with Patabi Joyce and used to teach yoga at Esalen back in the day. He okay. was like part of the whole like yoga program at Esalen when it first started. Ganga's like, I don't know how old he is now. He might be... 76 i i don't know maybe a little younger than that but he's definitely in his mid 70s around that range and he and his wife tracy and this other really cool dude sven uh certified teachers out there in the canyon okay and you live in a yurt it's about a month long i feel like when i'm i feel like vetus this guy that i used to take class with i feel like he did a teacher or not a teacher training i feel like he did a retreat there maybe yeah it's a great center yeah what about that training, you know, resonated with you because you do seem to have studied a lot about the philosophy. Um, I some mean, of the- that's what I liked. They had the right board members. Um, they don't have a huge Instagram following. I looked at the cred- credentials. Yeah. Um, and again, it just spoke true to me. Like Ganga, he says this all the time. Um, there's enough dogma and enough gospel of any sort to prove anything that you want hmm. really when you think about it enough books enough media it might not be necessarily truthful who knows but it it, it depends on what you believe in yeah you know and i also like to quote george costanza uh <laughs> it's not a lie if you believe it right that's true <laughs> yeah i'm just thinking i'm like um so how long ago how long ago was this when you completed the training? Uh, about three years ago now. Okay, so pretty recent. Recent. I, so this yeah. was like you had a pretty big life-changing experience happening. Mm-hmm. What, can you explain what really... I mean, why do you practice yoga? Why is it so um, important for you? I feel like yoga, at least for me then, was the only thing that made me really feel connected to my body. Yeah. Um. And, and not from a physical perspective, like from being like, you know, sexy or whatever. I think that's a pathway to yoga for sure. Like I think a lot of people initially become attracted to yoga that way. Um, but I don't know, for me, it just brought me so much peace. I felt more connected to the internal part of my, my body, but then it also helped me see the oneness and everything in the world. And why is that so important? What I mean, do you, what do you mean? Well, I mean, I, it's almost a rhetorical, it's not a rhetorical question, but why is that so important for you? Um, and basically what I'm getting at is what you're explaining is, I think it can sound cliche how you described yoga, 
But people, I think, because we spend so much time on our phones staring at pretty pictures all day, I think there's a brainwashing that's sort of happening Mm -hmm. where I think a lot of people are thinking that yoga is about holding handstand or, you know, having a great body. And I think the way that you described yoga and why it's important for you, um, those stories aren't being told. The only mm. stories that people are really paying attention to are the ones that look hot or sexy. So that's why, like, that's why I'm really curious. You know, why was that so important? You know, for you. Hmm. I don't know. It's hard to say. I um. I feel like I don't. The more that I learn, I realize that I don't know. And yoga is such a humbling experience for me because you're moving your body in these physical ways and putting yourself in these shapes and challenging yourself. But a huge part of the challenge is how you react to the situation. And it's a definitely safer space than exploring that outside because it's so rare that you can just close your eyes and move your body around and not like injure yourself because you you can't trust your surroundings that much. And a yoga room is a container for that space. And that's so special. Yeah, I don't necessarily think it's wrong, though, too, for people to find yoga through those false pretenses. And I feel like people really need to wake up a little bit more and see the flaw in the design that Instagram is just there to sell you stuff. And a huge part of selling you things is to make you feel like shit. It's to, supposed to make you feel like garbage. And I feel like when you sort of just shine a light on that a little bit, it makes it it takes away a little bit of its power. Wow. You know, I think the problem is, I mean, I agree with you, but because of how it was created and um, it's called like a social media, social networking and the intentions behind it all are to sort of bring people together. But I think some people spend their whole lives on that thing. Like that's part of their lives. I know. Like, Like... but that's the, their brain is actually responding to that as they're if it's living real. In AI. Yeah, that they're living in that. They're fully world. living in that space. Really, yeah. like I told you, how I feel like part of my brain is becoming that. Have you seen the movie Idiocracy? No. Oh, you need to watch it. Okay. It's by Mike Judge. He's the creator oh, of sure. Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. But it's like this dystopian sort of movie. But it's and it was made a long time ago. But it's kind of creepy how a lot of what they were talking about, like obviously comedically um has come true yeah but i feel like maybe it's not so yeah no i think maybe the word obvious is correct because maybe mike judge had seen a pat like seen that coming like it's like how a lot of this stuff isn't all that surprising like i think a lot of people said they were really surprised about donald trump winning but are they? Yeah, I Are they really that surprised? I kind of call bullshit on that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I, don't, I feel like I'm a <laughs> not bad... Not to get too political. No, but I feel like I'm a bad yoga teacher or something sometimes because... You're not a bad yoga No, teacher. but in the sense that, you know, you said earlier, like, you can't judge it or people obviously have the right to do whatever they want. And I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. But I do think there is this overwhelmingly strong ripple effect when I see yoga teachers 
contributing to what's going on in our culture when I see them and I realize there's a brand involved and they're trying to sell something. But when I see, when yoga to me is supposed to sort of be the anti, when we, it doesn't even have to be yoga teachers. I'm just saying yoga teachers because you're a yoga teacher. But when people that are just normal non-models in their 20s only posting photos where they're like posing or in a bikini or at the pool or they're adding like, there's this sort of trend or there's this um, pulling at people where I do feel like they have to, like that is a reality. And it's, they're behaving in a way where Instagram is the reality and they have to sort of compete because they're comparing themselves to this utopian, this, this insane world, but they're reacting like it's real. Yeah, and it's not real. And, and when you're in those situations, when they're so beautiful, because I have some friends who are influencers, I'm not going to name names, but when you're in those situations where it's supposed to be for Instagram or it's actually not really that fun, like yeah. the part, no one's dancing. It's like, whatever. It's, it's a lot of orchestrated kind of stuff. And I, I learned that from working in the fashion industry. So maybe I'm a little bit, I have a different perspective on that too, because I did work around celebrities. I did work around couture and i did see a lot of that kind of stuff and i realized how it's a lot of standing around yeah no but i that would probably explain it because i think when we do look at you know what it is it's kind of boring well but we look at the magazines or the pretty pictures and and we think that's just how it is but there was there's depression behind those photos and hard work and arguments and and i feel like this platform um it's not that we want, I, I don't think we want to look at bad photos all the time and we don't want to see negative energy, but I do think because people are primarily staring at the platform all day, they don't know how to, they don't know the reality and they don't know how to deal with if somebody is having a hard time or they're disagreeing. I, I don't know. I, I, it's, I think it, for whatever reason, I just, not for whatever reason, I just think it's creating a lot of issues. Well, I'm going to say my interpretation of it because I think that we both are kind of in, uh, we agree more on this than we disagree. I think that Instagram is damaging because it preys upon our monkey minds um, to a certain extent where we like to look at pretty pictures and it's very mesmerizing to look at things like that. But also there's sort of this inherent negativity sort of space that we get into where it feels kind of good to feel bad about yourself Hmm. and compare yourself to other people. But I do. Th- I, I think Instagram preys on that. Um, I, it's funny. I didn't think it originally started out that way, but it's, it's weird. It's almost like somehow it sort of morphed into that. Did it, or is that just like humanity sort of playing its part in the in the role? Because yeah, I, I just feel like that's a very like inherently human thing. It's not necessarily something we all have control over, and that's why it's. Um, so overwhelming and it allows things to travel so quickly well that's why and i'm going back to the beginning and i i don't want to forget about you know how you came to la but that i remember starting the interview complimenting you where you post photos and videos where you're just sort of a goofball and you're just having fun and you know yeah if nike was paying you you know five million dollars on your instagram or whatever to because they wanted you to wear you know particular shoes to show off. I mean, yeah, I get that that would require you to post a different kind of photo, but I do follow JLo and JLo to me 
I, I, first of all, I love her. I think she's super talented. But sometimes she posts something where she's clearly, you know, in a DKNY outfit or something. And it's clear that she's getting paid by DKNY mm-hmm. or whomever to, to look good in this outfit. Yeah. But then she also posts just photos that clearly she's not wearing makeup. She's not looking hot. She doesn't care. She's just hanging out with her family or something. And I love that sort of dichotomy where... There's just, to me, that just seems realistic. Like there's this teacher, Nicole, over at Playlist where, yeah, sometimes she's posting photos where she looks good and she's like wearing a great outfit. And other times she's just a goofball. And, and, and I like, I respond to that. And I like similarly to your Instagram, I just respond to somebody who they don't have to always put on a show. Yeah. I don't know, though. I feel like in a lot of ways I can't say that I'm not putting on a show. I think the world's a stage, as William Shakespeare says. Yeah. I I overthink what I do a lot in so many ways. I can't I can't like, you know, be in an ivory tower. I think I'm just like everybody else. But um I again, like I said, I feel like I don't need that kind of attention or validation. And I think certain people either know how to flow with it and dance with it, or they really do genuinely need that connection because they don't have that real human connection or real human community. Um, do I think that this community is a healthier one? Probably not. Um, and, and do I think it causes more harm than good? Sure. But do I think that there's like a possibility that it could save us all? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, to quote Rumi. Right. Uh, sell your c- cleverness and buy bewilderment. Bewilderment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you like? Do you feel? Um, last thing with with this, this area, and then I want to move on back to yoga. But I mean, you said that you get addicted to it sometimes, and does, do you do you feel? Do you normally? Feel, there's a couple of questions I want to ask, but. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel worse when you're staring at Instagram or do you feel better or it depends on the day? It depends. I've, I've noticed what actually makes me feel worse is looking at Instagram stories of my friends doing things <laughs> Yeah. Um, that I wasn't necessarily invited to. A lot of that has to do because I'm a yoga teacher and I wake up at 5 a.m. every day for the most part. Yeah. But um, it still hurts. You know, you experience FOMO. I used to never really feel FOMO when I was in my party girl stages. I used to, uh, I, I, maybe it was easier because I was included in all those things when I was right. fun. But I think it's hard to not take things personally. And I feel like somehow Instagram is creating that. I mean, I, I like it, if it's again, it taps into your monkey brain, it makes yeah. you feel reactive. Yeah. That's what it is. We're just really reactive. But I feel like that's part of where you can even use your yoga practice to help you because you can catch yourself a little quicker. Yeah. And I mean, we're we're still going to get caught all the time. You finished the training in Santa Barbara. Was this like a 200 hour kind of a deal? It was a 200 hour, but they uh, sent you home with an assignment that takes like a year. They were just kind of like, haha, just kidding. You yeah. completed your 200 hour, but now take this packet and you have to teach 30 classes. 25 of them are group classes and then five of them are privates. 
and you have to tell us what your class structure is and then you have to ask one person from your classes to review it and then later you have to send it by fax oh my god by fax not email <laughs> well you can email it too right. if you want i think i fax i don't remember what i did with mine but they had suggested you fax it over Funny. and they read your reviews and then they give you your certification and they ask you to allow the course to ripen for at least three months before you start teaching your classes wow and they were like yes you're probably going to be mad at us and hate us for it but all of our teachers like you know or not all of them but like people really end up appreciating it and I remember that I felt the same way. I was kind of like, this is bullshit. This was an expensive training. Like, why is this happening? And then I surrendered to it pretty quickly. And I, I feel like I've developed to a better teacher because of it. And then after you complete, so after you completed the training, did you then just drive on down to Los Angeles and move here? Or, or did you get I a had job? A, I had a friend, I had a bunch of friends from Miami moving here, actually. Okay. We work in the music industry and fashion industry, and they were all very close friends of mine. I actually have a lot of, like, a really great backup system here, which is amazing. Which, um, is, which is so important out here. Yeah, and I grew up coming out here, so I always wanted to live in Los Angeles. Uh, my godparents live in Malibu, Um They've always been really big supporters of me in my life. They're more like my family. I call them my aunt and uncle. Right. Um, and they they used to live in the Caribbean, so I saw them a lot more. They were there when I was born. Yeah, Uncle Ed and Auntie Connie. They were there when I was born in the house. Wow. Um, he taught me. At my Uncle Ed, he's got really long hair. He taught me how to braid. I didn't <laughs> learn how to braid from my mom. I learned, to braid from, I learned how to braid from Edwin. Yeah. <laughs> Is that your name or are you Edward? I'm an Edward. Okay. My dad's yeah. name is Edward. Wow. And you met him. I did. He did. Yeah. At Hyper- he flew here. So he's not living here now. <laughs> no, no. He just, he's a pilot and he was in Bend, Oregon. Okay. And decided to stop by because there was some bad weather over Vegas and that was part of his flight path and he was going to come see me. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. He's a pretty wild guy. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not the easiest person to grow up with, but um, never what? a boring time. Yeah. Why? What do you mean? Just um... just really irresponsible and reckless. Yeah. Um, uh, he's, I, I told you about him being in prison right. for eight years, but, or almost nine years, I should say, but he's been in and out of trouble with the law my whole life. He oh doesn't think the rules apply to him. He comes from a really uh, wealthy family in Jamaica. And kind of never really experienced consequences in his life. Okay. So I think, and you know, he started flying airplanes when he was a teenager. He's just really privileged, which is fine. I mean, whatever. I don't want to sound like I'm being a hater about that. Right. Um, But I do think certain people, when they don't understand their mortality or... uh, or, or even just the ability to see the humanity in other people. And I think that's the big mistake with Instagram, too, going back to that. Like, you don't have to see the person's real reaction to things. Right. I don't know. And I feel like certain things with privilege sometimes can blur those lines. Yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I I remember once he told me he, he well, and he was arrested for this. He didn't have a ferry permit. And he, he crashed off of Key West and land, crash landed, I think, I think he got wet. I think, yeah, he landed in the water. I don't think the plane was fully destroyed, but, um, yeah. And 
I remember he had to wear an ankle monitor. He was on parole for a while. And it was just always kind of like back and forth, weird stuff like that. Um, wow. Yeah. He crash landed on a bridge in Cuba before. That's really wild. And yeah, yeah. I remember he told me it was because of engine failure. He was like 50 miles out uh, close to, he was on his way to Jamaica. Okay. Which is where he's from. And, um, yeah, one propeller went out. It was like a dual prop plane. One propeller went out, and so he had to cut the other one because obviously you can't fly on one propeller. I feel like I keep saying the word obviously. No, anyway, um, a propeller went out, and so he stalled the plane and then glided it. He's a good glider pilot too. He's he's an incredible pilot. This is like a huge reason why he's still alive. He's crashed. Say. He loves to fly unworthy aircraft. Like he's just a nut. Uh, really a big adrenaline junkie, so yeah. to speak. And uh, yeah, so he glided the plane and crash landed on a bridge. Wow. So that was one of the experiences too. What does your mom do? Uh, my mom is, I don't know if she's really working right now, but she, she used to work in skincare. Okay. She was really into uh, all natural stuff though. So, But I mean, do you get along with her or? We, we definitely... I have had her ups and downs. She's a really hard personality. She's Greek. Okay. And really controlling, but uh, very loving. But I definitely like not living as close to her as I used to. Sure. Yeah. One of my friends told me like families like um, fish, it, it it stinks after a couple of days or something, or it, or it spoils after a couple I haven't couple heard days. that one. <laughs> you can use that one. It's fine. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Um, so, um, huh. well, it's just like, you know, it's just interesting hearing all this and then taking your class. There is people really love your class and I loved your class. No, but you're really popular. People, I, I feel like really. Not always. I don't know. I feel like really, um, I mean, you teach how many times a week? Um, well, last year. I made this a goal of mine. I wanted to teach every single day of the week. Which is at insane. Least, at least three classes a day. You wanted to teach three classes I a day or you get, wanted to teach every day? I wanted to teach every day at least three classes. My teacher, Ava, who I told you about, who got me into doing yoga and told me to teach, uh, did that for a while. I don't know if she... Yeah, she did that for a while because she said, if you do that, you'll make enough money to just get by and you'll get really good at teaching. Hmm. And so I told myself I would do that for one full year, and I did. Last year was the year? Last year was the year. Wow. Um, and what now are you just, you want to, you came to your senses and you want to. Well, I, I said I need to give myself a day off because yeah. I can't, I can't really do my job correctly if my own glass isn't full, so to speak. So, sure. Um, and I think that there's a certain level of responsibility that's there if you are going to be a good yoga teacher because I do believe your energy creates ripple effects. It's not just about those people in your room. They they go out there into their own life and do stuff. It's like a game of dominoes almost. Yeah. Uh, so what kind of vibration are you going to bring? Why do you love to teach? Oh, it brings me life. Yeah, I, right. I feel like um, obviously there's a lot of love and adoration that comes from uh being a teacher and I, I like that attention 
it's a big part of it but I feel like what really feeds my soul is that I enter a level of flow state and it's a new part of my yoga practice teaching yoga I, I practice yoga a lot I take a class um, six days a week as well oh, wow. for the most part or I have a home practice I I, um, I take that part of it very seriously too I think part of being a good teacher is knowing how to be a good student but um, yeah teaching yoga is so fulfilling because I, I feel like it's something I'm meant to do I am a naturally really joyful happy person and I feel like I bring that energy into the room and I allow people to connect with their bodies. I don't think I make my teaching too much of a performance either. A lot of the time I'm in the back of the room or I'm crouching next to people and kind of helping them with their their form. And it's not always necessarily about being too alignment-based, but really allowing my students to learn how to actually do yoga instead of just like being in my own head or thinking too much about the music. And I think music's very important. I don't want to sound like I'm uh, against that. But I feel like a lot of people have been doing yoga for years and they don't know how to do chaturanga correctly. And I find that to be unacceptable. Yeah. So you teach at high, okay, so you fin- <laughs> you know, but you finished at White Lotus, and yep. then how do you come down to Los Angeles? I know you mentioned you had friends so down here. So I mentioned here. I had friends here. So and you, they convinced you to come down here, or? Well, they had been moving out here anyway, so we kind of all talked about moving out to LA together um, before I had set out for the West Coast, and I had a friend, Fee, who had to move here anyway for work. Um, and then my other friend Mia, we were both talking about moving out to LA, and uh, she had a boyfriend too that was moved, like that lived in San Diego or something. So it just all was making sense. Yeah. Everyone was migrating over here, and there was a lot of our friends from our Miami crew that had already been out cool. here. And did you teach anywhere before Hyperslow? Um, I yes, I did. I taught at the Silver Lake Independent Jewish Community Center. Okay. Uh, that was kind of where I, it was like my training wheels experience because that was where I taught my classes to fulfill my requirement for my teacher sure. training. And I actually paid for the renting space and it wasn't a lot of money. I think I just had to donate 10% of whatever it is that I made for each class to right. keep the space. And I had a good friend, Carly, who I grew up with. We went to the same prep school. I've known her since preschool. There's photos of us as babies together. Like, I know her for as long as I can possibly remember. Uh, and she, she still lives in Highland Park, actually. Okay. And works at Children's Hospital, my oldest friend. I helped her move out here, too. And I always said that I would come meet her here. Cool. Um, and where was I going with that? Well, I asked where you were teaching before Hyperslow. So I I was teaching there. Okay. At at the independent, the Jewish Community Center. I was at the JCC. And then shortly after I was teaching there, I started teaching at Heartbeat House in Atwater Village. Okay. It's mostly a dance studio. I was teaching yoga there. And I had um, a very challenging class there. It was like 6.30 a.m. Mondays and Wednesdays. 
which I like. I like waking up early, but it wasn't really the community there. Right. And the community there is more into dance. It's a pretty big Zumba studio. They have like really amazing African dance classes. It's an awesome space. Okay. Um, this woman, Kumbi, owns it. And she's very, very cool. So how did you get tied in with um, Asher and, and uh, Emily? I met Asher and Emily and they own Hyperslow. And they own Hyperslow. And let's met... wait, let's really sorry. Let's uh-huh. talk a little bit about Hyperslow very quickly. Sure. Because we both work there. Yeah. Um you know, it's it's it in LA is you know, there's the sweat yoga and the Y sevens and there's so much power and vinyasa and heated and the music's loud and it's all about flash and get in, get out, and I get that. But there is sort of this sanctuary feeling about hyper-slow that I just think is really uncommon in this city. And um, it's a pretty special place. And they really take pride in the community. They take pride in the space. Um, it's more than yoga. It's also a meditation center. And, um, you know, they also had owned the cafe at the front. I know there's a different, you know, Yarrow work. Yarrow, the cafe, is now up front. Yeah, that's a new addition. Right. Um, but it's... It's to me. It's a unique. To me, it always feels like it's it, not. It should be, but it reminds me of this yoga studio that I went to in Connecticut. It just has a very sort of different feeling to it than LA. Are you from Connecticut? No, but I had a lot of family. No, up you're there. from Ohio. Yeah. I know this because I'm a fan of yours. It just reminded me of of the studio that I went to in Connecticut. It just it didn't feel like Los Angeles, which I think is great. It's an urban oasis. Yeah, I think that's on the. I think I've read that somewhere. Yeah. Um, but what do you? You know, how did you meet them, and, and how do you feel teaching there, and, and what do you feel about the community Oof, there? I feel like I'm at home there. But um, how did you meet Asher and Emily? I met Emily first. Okay. And we met through this amazing teacher, Aaron wrote um, Aaron Ward, and Aaron was teaching at Wanderlust. Okay. And I had seen Erin and I was, she asked me how I was and I kind of broke down into tears. What and do you I mean said she asked her, you how you were? Because or... we ran into each other at, at her, after her class Okay. and she was talking to me. I was trying to leave but, okay. and she asked me how I was doing and I had mentioned to her that I had auditioned at Y7. Okay. And they told me that I was too much of a yoga teacher and he was like, I don't want you to change. He's like. You should, you shouldn't change. You're a great teacher, but you teaching here would be like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. But it's so funny because he asked me about my playlist and hmm. loved it. Apparently, because yeah. <laughs> I actually really like hip hop music, uh-huh. and I was into it. But it's loud in there, and it's very dark. And I also, I think, at the same time, wasn't probably ready to to teach there at the time. I probably never would be though. He's probably right. That was probably a good assessment. Yeah. Like when I think about it, but I, I, I was upset and Aaron had told me. So wait, Aaron, you, and I met, so Emily was in that class and this she was, was like, one at, I want you to meet Emily. This is the one at Wanderlust. Mm-hmm. At okay. Wanderlust. This so all happened at Wanderlust and but, she introduced me to Emily and so Emily said, to, come but, to Hyperslow. But you were talking to her because you had just auditioned at Y7 and it didn't and go was, well and you were I bummed out. crying. And, okay, got it. So Emily. <laughs> well, I wasn't crying, but like started getting teary and yeah. expressing my frration. But Emily was like, was in the she same was class. in the class. And, and she, she introduced wanted, you. Yeah, she wanted Aaron to start teaching there. And 
Um, she wanted Aaron to start teaching at Hyperslow. And Aaron was, she did end up teaching at Hyperslow okay, too, it. around when I started. Okay. She's not there anymore. Okay. But she's an incredible teacher. She still is at Wanderlust. This was around when I was like fresh out of teacher training. Yeah. I was definitely not yeah. uh, ready to teach in that format. I, I And also, I think my the very root of my being, I didn't agree with their format of teaching. I thought it was irresponsible. <laughs> well, what's interesting is that I agree with you, but I, I, I loved the space i i liked the lighting you know when you know when i teach i i, I try to when i'm a, i dim the lighting a lot it's just i'm big on lighting it's harder to balance that way That's i like true. natural light i'm not into Completely. being overly dark or it's overly impossible. light it's, i think it needs to be like same with temperature though yeah. i'm not like a hot yoga person either. yeah i'm not i don't love it 90 degrees but i do like it somewhere in that 80 to 82 range i think 76 is perfect yeah, that just feels so cold to me. 76 like, is too cold. Yeah. Your body can build up that heat. Yeah, I just, I, I think for me, and I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm like older or because I'm a guy and I'm naturally sort of stiff. Maybe I, that's it. I, I sweat like crazy. Yeah, I, I do sweat eventually, but I need a little bit of warmth in the room mm-hmm. to like help the muscles and the joints just get warm. I always say hot yoga or even like a heated vinyasa class. Any of those kinds of things are better for people who are tight. Yeah. I'm hyper flexible, so I'm just not a candidate for right. it. But I do think when it's over 95 degrees, I don't think that's good at all. It's excessive. Yeah. So that's why I like that's. I mean, like, I don't know. And that's just for me personally, I like yeah. somewhere around 80. I like that temperature because it's sort of kind of warm already, but it's not excessive. But I, what was my point with the whole why? Oh, the room. I did. I love the lighting. I love the stereo or the sound of the system. But there is something about people flowing on their own. Mm-hmm. That's to me can be problematic. So I think um, you know injuries can happen that way. And there's this sort of thing with yoga where people don't get injured. But I just think that's you know just not true because I think people have the tendency to do the poses. Uh, improperly well yoga injuries there is some truth to that because the injuries are usually like stress fractures that occur over time and a lot of the times those people who go and take yoga class in general they rarely return even people who say they love your class and give you rave reviews so so really what you have to focus on is not necessarily the people who just come into your class who are beginners it's a it's a lot of the times you pay more attention to the people who keep returning and you grow from that so i i I definitely understand that argument where it's like it's it's you have to try hard to injure yourself i think in one yoga class it has to happen over a span of time yeah and I mean, there are basic things like that you should teach, I think, especially when you notice people aren't doing chaturanga correctly because you don't want people to micro-fracture their wrists or there's certain there's certain poses, I think, that you shouldn't teach beginners for one. Yeah. You know, but um, I feel like the flow on your own is alienating for different reasons. I think a lot of people don't pick up on choreo and a lot of the times you go into don't pick yoga, up on what? choreo, choreography. Oh, okay. Got it. I think a lot of people don't pick up on choreography in general. I just heard choreo and I thought it sounded cool like, yeah. from someone talking about it. Okay. Dancer. I didn't, oh, I do what you're and talking about. I was about. like, oh, I like that. I'm going to use that because I love abbreviating words unnecessarily. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think it's alienating because 
not everyone does pick up on choreography. And what I like about yoga too is I'm not a dancer, but I feel like I can dance. And I, I don't mean that I'm not a dancer. I love dancing, but I'm not like a dancer in a traditional sense. Right. I, I also don't like what the dancing world does to women because I am kind of a staunch feminist, even though I love all people. But right. I really strongly believe in equal rights for women. And I feel like there's, well... I know I'm aware of the inherent bias that happens with men. I think it's bullshit needs to stop. Yeah. We all need to talk about it more and it's okay that we feel that way. We need to forgive ourselves for it, but we need to recognize that like that patriarchal mindset is always like a first thing that happened, but I, I'm going off on a tangent yeah, tangent about that. I think. But. No, I mean, you're, if the podcast was seven hours long, I think we could touch on that also, yeah. but, but I agree with you. I think, um, Mainly my point is that men are seen more as an authority figure. They're known as being more strong and more pragmatic and and seen as being more scholarly or, or knowing. Hmm. I think that's what I mean. It's an inherent bias. People don't necessarily think of it, but when a man talks about how they feel, they're opinionated and strong. When a woman, a woman says the same thing, they are emotional. They are yeah. bitchy. You know, there's certain things like that that happen, or they're bossy, like when little girls display that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's, um, and so- that's what I mean by the inherent bias, and that does happen a lot in the yoga community. I don't think it's necessarily bad to want to do anything to get laid. I think that's how the world goes round. Hmm. Um, you know, and I can't think again. I have that compassion because at the very root of it, it comes from love. Yeah, but and yoga is about like you know. To me, I think there's a responsibility for the teacher. I agree, 100%. to be there for you know to help the yeah, students. Totally. But I just when but I but I think that there's some guys that get into yoga because of girls, and then they end up seeing that other side to it. I think it's just another pathway there. Right. I don't think it necessarily means that they're bad. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I don't think or irresponsible. Yeah. Because I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with a little bump and grind. No, not at all. <laughs> of but you shouldn't not. you shouldn't mess with your students. Well, yeah, I just think there's a there's you know, um, I don't know. There's just a manipulation and there's totally just, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm angry people, at the impaired people, bias more of like men being seen as an authority figure. Yeah, but but like I do think guys take adva- I think guys take advantage of the fact that their voices can be lower, can be you know louder and stronger. Um, you know, the women can come across as being sort of soft-spoken. Yeah. And um, <laughs> like, but that's talking. conditioning too. Yeah, definitely. So um, I don't know. That might be why too a lot of women don't necessarily feel comfortable about coming on your podcast, and it might be something that they don't fully realize. Hmm. Maybe it's something underneath the surface. Yeah. And maybe the women that come on your podcast have more masculine energy. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm quiet because I'm thinking. I don't, I could be wrong. This is a theory. No, it's possible. Um, I think also, I think it's easier for people to not have a conversation and just put on a facade on Instagram. It's not easy for me to do that. It's not easy for you to do what? To put on a facade. Yeah, but I I think that's why you're here. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think... Um, People don't have a hard time being real, and mm. and people have a hard time with somebody who's questioning, mm. um, and not taking things at face value. And if I'm questioning, you know, what people are doing on Instagram, whether it's yoga or whether it's just in general, mm-hmm. people have a hard time with that. 
Yeah. And I think they just want me to just be quiet and just like take things for what it is. But I do see people paying attention to the wrong things in our society. And I think we're becoming obsessed with the flash and the sex factor. And we're not reading anymore. And we're not talking anymore. And we're not really thinking for ourselves. And we're becoming like freaking zombies and robots. It's almost like we're all staring at our phones and we're not like, you know, let's say you and I had a disagreement. Um, because we're, we're not, because we're not comfortable disagreeing anymore, or we don't know how we sort of overreact or because there's just the like feature on Instagram and Facebook and there's no other options. I don't think, and I posted this article about, you know, the feelings of contempt where this guy who's actually a a Buddhist and he, he's a big meta. Um, he's really, he was just on this, um, minimalist show. I'm suddenly forgetting the name. But he, was, he wrote an article for the New York Times about how these platforms are creating a world where we don't know how to have conversations anymore or have disagreements anymore. Yeah. And so I think, back to your point about why a couple of women, a couple of them in yoga and a couple others that aren't, may have a hard time coming on the show because that whole energy of disagreeing or not, or communicating how you really feel in a sort of a articulate, intelligent way I think it's really challenging now for people because we're, yeah. I don't know. I, I I think it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. And I think you... Maybe privilege has a role to play in this too, though. What do you mean? I I mean, like, thankfully, I had access to a lot of education and that gave me a curious mind. Hmm. And I come from a family uh, where... It was encouraged to have your own thoughts. Yeah. Um, maybe you have the same upbringing. I feel like a lot of uh, culturally Jewish people have that too. They're taught to be curious. I, I think yeah. some of it is conditioned and privileged. I think a lot of people are raised by their televisions. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess that's where compassion comes to play too. When, when you speak with other people who are like that. Yeah. I'm trying to figure it out, but I think you're you're definitely striking a chord for sure. talk about privilege especially in the states because you're supposed to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like you know do things on your own but that's so not true it takes a village like most people who end up in certain spaces it's because of all the people that they've met yeah and the people that have supported them and helped them on their way and you know when we're born we're all dealt a certain stack of cards and just already being born in the united states you're so lucky but it depends on the family that you're in and i had access to a really great education i went to prep school yeah i was taught to think independently hmm. well that's why i just i felt like you know it was important to i'm writing a book and i i wanted and the book is sort of i'm not going to say what it's about exactly but it's sort of about the impact that social media is having on our brains. And I think um, 
these things that you're talking about and talking and conversation and thinking for yourself and being curious, these platforms, and because people spend so much time on them, are retraining our brains to not really think for ourselves. Yeah. Well, it's preying upon upon those those more uh, pe- those people that I guess were maybe raised in front of screens who, you know, because we're all obviously survivors of something. That's why we're still here. Sure. <laughs> um, but I think that there's a lot of a lot of people who have parents that maybe work really hard and don't get to pay attention or whatever, and you end up dealing with these devices. Like you see so many toddlers here too being calmed by their iPads, you know. Yeah. And it, it's just, and maybe it's laziness. I, I I don't. I'm not really sure what it is, but it's preying upon that. And a really great way to control population is through fear. Well, and and Instagram preys upon that too, but all social media's news, a lot of that stuff, it, it it works on controlling the populace by making them afraid. Yeah, and also that makes you buy more stuff. <laughs> yeah, like Y two K, like what was that like for duct tape sales right. <laughs> or or other things too? I mean, who knows? Well, do you feel a sense of responsibility as a yoga teacher to sort of? It's funny in my. I want to shine a light on that. Yeah, hundred percent, and I feel like I do. Okay, cool. I think I do, and I think I spread that. Well, that's the goal. I do. I think. I mean, I don't think I do. I know I do. Yeah, I know you do. I think any teacher that teaches at Hyperslow does. Mm -hmm. Um, They do. Well, it's funny. I said this. Emily and Asher have done a very good job curating the teachers. Everyone there is amazing. Yeah. I said this in class the other day. I said, you know, we have the tendency, you know, they've said to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, our screens. But how exciting would it be to go down the rabbit hole of, of, your body and your breath and your mind. I love that. I know I made I made it up with the made it up and I was like, "Oh god, that sounds really cool." But I thought like, but people are scared or don't know how to do that. I think though, I feel like do you know who John Mulaney is? He's a comedian. No. He's wonderful. He has this Netflix special. He also describes Donald Trump as a horse in a hospital, but that's a tan <laughs> it's it's the best description of him ever. Yeah. But anyway, he says he goes, "I don't even know what my body is for." Other than just carrying my head from one room to the next. And I think that's where most people live. Wow. Yeah. And they have this thing that's glued to their hands. Yeah. And it's developing how their spine looks. It's so gross. They get a hump. Yeah. And it's so funny. People are more concerned, I think, about how they look in pictures than they do in real life. I'm like, you see some of these people and they don't look that great in person, but they photograph well. And I... I feel like I'd rather look better in person, but I think some people would rather photograph better. Yeah, definitely. Like truly. Yeah. It's look, I love the world we live in. I'm lucky. Um, but I do think the devices, the the apps, they affect the world that I live in. Oh, I think we got it all wrong. I feel like we should be living in tree houses like Swiss Family Robinson style. Yeah. I really do. Like, I, I feel like I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson say something like that. Like, if the aliens came to Earth and saw how we were living today, they'd be like, what the hell are these people doing? <laughs> right. But also in the same sense, I, I love Ram Dass, and he talks about how um, everything is perfect, or his guru said everything is perfect. And when you really think about it a little bit deeper, like, Earth is also like growing people. Hmm. Like we we don't know what's going on. Like obviously we have no idea. There's like such a mystery to life. No one knows what happens when you die. I'm also obsessed with death. 
I think that's why I'm like a very sunshiny, happy person, like generally, because I love death. But anyway, or not love death. I'm like obsessed with it. What do you mean? How are you obsessed with death? About death. I I, I find it to be such a humbling experience. And a lot of people don't necessarily think about their humanity or their own mortality because they are so fixated on their screens. Yeah. Um, But I feel more connected to that. Because even as a child, I was kind of obsessed with like where we come from and why are we here? And I thought I was an alien for a while. Right. I also watched Morgan Mindy, so that might have been part of it. Yeah. We ended at Y7, Wanderlust, and then in, in Emily... Um, she asked Emily to teach at Hyperslow. And then what... Her Emily asked Aaron to teach at Hyperslow. And then Aaron introduced me to Emily. Emily told me to come take class. Okay. And then I took class. And then we spoke afterwards. And I honestly don't know what would have happened to my self-esteem as a teacher if Emily didn't give me that chance. Hmm. And I, I started there actually just teaching kids yoga. I was really scared of speaking in public. I'm not um, a shy person. I'm naturally kind of extroverted, but it's very selective. Yeah. And I'm not a performer well, it's to a certain extent. Well, it's funny in LA. And so I, I had a lot of stage fright teaching. Yeah. Well, I think in LA though, what's interesting is that I think it's why sort of a lot of actors and performers get into teaching yoga because there is I'm a perfor- the opposite. There is a performance to it, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really are in front of people. You need to have a specific voice. Um, I didn't have a leg up with that at all. Like, I came were you freaked out like the first few months? Freaked out. I still, still I still do out. get a little freaked out. Yeah, it, not so much at Hyperslow because I feel like I'm at home there now, but. Um, I definitely still feel that, but I think there is a certain adrenaline that's released for anybody teaching yoga. That's part of like what gets us. Well, people look up to you and, and they want you to, they, they, they assume, you know what you're talking about and you, there's a vulnerability factor in the room and they trust you and there's, there's an intimacy to it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people are letting go emotionally and with their bodies. And, and I think, um, I think people, I'm speaking about you now. I think people trust you. And I think that takes, uh, I don't know with, with some teachers, it could take a long time, but with mm-hmm. you, I get the sense it probably happens pretty quickly. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think there's just, I think people really feel comfortable letting go in your class. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a reason why you're so popular. Um, because you're easy to be around. And that's the thing. There's sort of this, you know, I think underneath it all, behind the how much te- how much teaching you've done, how many years you've been teaching, ultimately it's sort of if people like you or they don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, I mean, if we can get all complicated about the trainings and the, and the type of class and the type of flow and this and that. But ultimately, it's about your energy and people feel comfortable letting go around you. Mm-hmm. And I think they do. And yeah. I think that's a testament to not only how you are as a teacher, but just who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to pick up on that in the class when you're teaching. You have to pick up on the fact that people feel comfortable around you. Maybe, but I think a lot of it too is the fact that I really trust in the yoga 
I know that it works. Yeah. And I feel like I can hold that space because, um, or be trustworthy because for the most part, I, I practice what I preach. Yeah. And people can tell. Hmm. And I like to think maybe I don't even preach, but I don't know. I make I make the practice and the space that I hold more about the divinity that lives inside all human beings. It's not about me performing, I think, and, and maybe that resonates with people. Yeah. Because I didn't come into yoga because I'm a failed dancer or a failed fill-in-the-blank. Yeah. I, I did it because... It's not a side hustle for me. This is what I want to make my career. I'm really passionate about teaching yoga. Hmm. I'm not sure how I'm going to enter the marketplace with it just yet because it's hard to sustain a living teaching studio classes. And hopefully I'll figure that out. I mean, well, what if... I have, will figure that out. Yeah, well, what, if you have, like, what are you thinking or... I, I'm not sure. I actually learned that you're in Matt Pippin's mentorship program. I, I really wanted to do how that. How did you know I was doing that? I think I saw it on Instagram, but yes. I was initially going to sign up because he's one of my favorite teachers oh, in Los amazing. Angeles. he's amazing. And he's one of the people who I, I want to teach like I emulate him a lot. Hmm. Yeah, um, I'm, I go back tomorrow and it's once a I'm week. I'm so jealous. It's been, <laughs> I learned... Um, I added some stuff into my class this past Sunday. I was scared to He's do it. He's so inspiring. Yeah, he really is. Wait, how did you find him? Um, Ray. Oh, yeah, she's great. Who um, teaches at Wanderlust. I, I, she and I were talking, and I was just getting her advice about, like, you know, what's a place to go to learn some new shit where I'm not going to have to spend, like, $3,000 and she said, you have to take Matt's, you, you, you just take Matt's class. But I looked online the next day and I saw he was actually, this was just six weeks ago. Yeah. I saw he was offering a mentorship for, um, really four weeks. To do it. It's, it's during a time slot where I got a class and unfortunately I'm in this position where I really do live check to check and I, I can't afford it considering that I'm hosting my first retreat coming up. Yeah, where is in a month where in is Mexico okay. next month, and I I just have to really be careful and conscious of my spending, and not only that I I have to be conscious of my classes and I was trying to switch classes with somebody, and I couldn't get the switch and I I really need to keep the same number of classes per week to squeak by. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, that's and, the you know that's the thing. It's it's and I. You know, one of my friends works at Aloe, and I, I think he does pretty well. Um, you know, and he's also repped by them. Yeah, they and pay a lot. They per do. Class. They I've pay a lot. I've taught at their headquarters. It's really like a livable wage. It is, yeah. So, um, I mean, I think retreats are an option. Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to go into. But I really do feel like I need the right mentor and like to kind of help me forge my path and figure out a way to actually make a living and not go broke teaching yoga. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of money blocks. I think that come with being a yoga teacher because it's such a beautiful practice and it's something you want to share with the world for free. It's, it's hard for you to feel like you deserve to monetize. Yeah. I think it's tough for studios to make a lot of money out here. And I think class pass it's a labor of love. Yeah, completely. It's a labor. Of I mean, love. I think there are some studios that, you know, probably do pretty well. Um, but I think it's challenging. Mm-hmm. I think it's especially, and I, I don't think ClassPass helps either. I've, I I don't know, but I get the sense that 
Class Pass doesn't pay the studios that much, but I, I don't know. Who yeah, knows? I'm not really sure. I've heard, I've heard that though, from yeah. multiple people, and I'm really con- curious about the Class Pass platform. Yeah, in general, like how they even turn a profit. Class Pass. Mm-hmm. Because they 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 don't charge that much either. Yeah. For things, and they give a lot of things away for free. It seems. Yeah. But um, I'm apprehensive about a lot of those apps because they probably sell your information to other companies. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to sound too paranoid, conspiracy theorist <laughs> person because I really don't know what I'm talking about. And did you do a training anywhere else besides the one? No, I would love to do another training. Yeah, but they're freaking expensive. They're really expensive. And you have to also be able to take the time off. Like, even if I were to make the investment, would I be able to uh, bounce back from it? Yeah. I don't know. Like, because it's one thing about making the investment and doing it. That's fine. But then I'm not going to be making any money while I'm studying. Yeah. Like, like for example, with the mentorship program that I wanted to do, I would have to forfeit classes to, to do that. Yeah. And then how would I make up that time? But I, I, I do also believe that there's certain ways that you have to like invest in certain things and then the money will come back to you one way or another, especially when you start to work on your credentials a little bit more. But I feel like I'm in this place right now where I already, I'm pretty like fiscally responsible and I'm in not a lot of debt, but I'm in some debt where I feel like I need to work towards paying it off before I do something like that. Yeah. And it's very realistic that I will pay it off soon and then I'll start moving from there. Yeah. But I am being realistic about it and I am passionate about continuing my education, but I feel like for now taking advantage of the free classes that I can take and what I learn from other teachers, even if I don't like their class, I learn so much yeah you really do other people's classes definitely you learn what not to do <laughs> yes and that's so much value yeah and also when you see the vulnerability that someone brings into that space going back to the word compassion you can't help but but feel that way after i did my teacher training i really felt a different respect for class yeah what do you do um besides yoga um, like for fun? Yeah. Uh, what do I do besides yoga I now? Oof. Um, I, I really like to spend time with friends and more quality time. I, I really like having conversations with people and hearing how their lives are. Yeah. Um, I really like, uh, I have a couple, well, I have a student of mine. I met her actually through the Jewish community center kind of thing. Um, and she is really into art. Well, she's a consultant and works for artists, but, uh, one of her friends is Jibs Cameron, who's a performance artist, uh, goes under the name dynasty handbag. And she has this night at Zebulon called weirdo night. That's pretty incredible. She's one of my first students too, Jibs. Um, and she doesn't take my class anymore, unfortunately. I'm like, Jibs, come back, start doing yoga. But uh, she's an incredible performance artist. Yeah. And has that night, and it's so funny and amazing. And so sometimes I'll go do that and get to really let loose because I'm definitely a weirdo. <laughs> and so I feel at home in that kind of situation. So that's a really great experience for me. I really like laughing. So I, I do enjoy comedy. 
I like to not take myself too seriously. So I feel like that really helps me with my balance being a yoga teacher is taking the opportunity to laugh. One of my neighbors is a uh, door guy at the comedy store. So okay. sometimes I'll go hang out there. Yeah. Not very often <laughs> because I don't go out late. Right. But if I do ever want to go see comedy, he gets me in there, which is really fun. That's cool. And he's also working on being a comedian. I, uh, I really love my weird neighbors. I live in Det- <laughs> on, on Detroit Street, and it's like a bit of an odd neighborhood. But I feel like um, a huge part of like you know being a person of this world and being more active in your community also has to do with like the people that interact with you on a regular basis. Like, how do you treat the person at the grocery store? How do you treat your neighbor? And yeah, you know, it's it's <clears throat> so funny. I was thinking about this. Um, I'm kind of like this like fucked up version of like Belle from Beauty and the Beast, you know, in the town and or any sort of like Disney princess, you know, they have like the woodland creatures helping them get dressed for me. It's like, you know, the, the strange people that live in my community right <laughs> on Detroit street, those, those people that end up in Hollywood, uh, doing one thing or another, like this woman, Loretta, who lives above me, who's an actor and she's, um, She's got to be 60. She's been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And she's still living her dream and doing her thing. Or like my other friend, Chris, who's, uh, worship Satan. Okay. He, uh, and uh, to me, he's one of the most interesting people in the world. Um, and I'm trying to think of how to even describe him. He, I think where we really connect is how much he loves animals. Right. And doesn't really like very many people. I can. He's been understand. hurt by people though too. Yeah. Yeah. Grew up with a family in the church, and he was molested, and you know, just kind of dealt with a lot of that. So I think felt a lot of comfort in actually Satan and the bad guy. Because I think maybe if I came from that perspective, I would trust that too. But also, I feel like the bad guys always have the best lines. Right. Hmm. So I understand that too. Um. um. But yeah. I like I like hanging out with different kinds of people, people who aren't interested in yoga, I guess right. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. That's that's one of the things that I like to do. I think it's really important to surround yourself with people who don't agree with you necessarily. Like for me, one of my friends who I hang out with on a regular basis is a Satanist. Yeah. And my brother is in a thrasher heavy metal band. So part of me feels at home in that side of darkness too. I love live music. Um I am trying to get better at golf. <laughs> that yes. was my second time doing it, the That's video cool. that you saw. Yeah. Um, I, I, I find it to be a very zen activity. <laughs> Have you done it before? Of course. I played a lot in high school. It's so much fun. It can really be, like but it. it can be so frustrating. I was on the golf team, so golf is sort of like a... You were on the golf yeah, team. Yeah, it was like a big deal. So it was fun. But it was also so frustrating. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. It was some pressurized. It is frustrating. Yes. It is. I found myself grunting and making <laughs> noises that I didn't think I could make. But, you know, it's funny because I think yoga has that response for a lot of people, too. You see them when they fall out of balancing poses, how angry they get. I feel like the most important part about me, even as a teacher, is I remind people to laugh themselves when they fall out. Yeah. And the same thing can go with any sort of practice that you do. Yeah, there's a, sort of a seriousness to so many things. and So many things. And I nice guess that's to... where we circle back to death because none of us really know what's going to happen yeah. or why we're here. So 
how can you take any of this too seriously? Yeah. It's true. Like we are swimming in a sea of miracles. Yeah. We, we are all miracles. Yeah. It's just we so easily forget that. Mm-hmm. But it's true. People can find you at Hyperslow. <laughs> like almost every day. Almost every day. Find you at Yoga Vibe mm-hmm. in West Hollywood three times a week. Yes. You're on Instagram at worth it, W-I-R-T-H-I-T. And you have a retreat coming up in Mexico. I do. In about a month. With JQ Williams. She is at yoga with JQ. She's incredible. Cool. Was it like a five-day deal? Yeah, five days, four nights. Five days, four nights. I'm like, step out of winter. Right. And into spring. <laughs> um, well, I appreciate you coming on the show, talking about the crazy world we live in and how yoga is so important to it's separate. So it. crazy. Yeah, I know. Um, and yeah, downward facing spiritual spiral. You've been really awesome, just giving me a lot of support <laughs> talking about the show and how cool it is to start the podcast and. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on and talking to me today. I'm your biggest cheerleader, Eddie. I support you. And thank you so much for having me. I know. Well, it's funny. I remember asking you a while ago when the show started, and I was just sort of overwhelmed at how many people wanted to come on the show. But I really appreciate you. You know where to find me. No, I know. But I wanted to have you on. and But I also wanted to take a break from yoga because this show felt a little too yoga-centric for a little while. And and I wanted to... um, take a break from yoga but now i wanted to come back to yoga again because it's so it's just it's i do all these things but yoga is a really big deal to me and i wanted it i I was ready to talk yoga again yeah so yeah it's all part of the practice yeah you come back you go away right come back yeah so well thanks so much everybody for listening thanks zoe for coming on this week and uh i'll be back uh very soon have a have a great evening